Now, here's something I want you to use with special care. With special care. Everything you give me. Treat it with equal contempt. Yes, I know, but that's an underwater camera. It takes eight pictures in rapid succession by pressing that button there. Is that clever? But if you can take pictures in the dark with an infrared film, yes. 007, Britain's finest secret agent. Licensed to kill. Mixing business with girls and thrills. I've seen you on the screen. It's you that I adore. Since I was a boy, I wanted to be like Roger Moore. A Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. I killed him. You're glad. Might as well start where you had to start, hey, huh? Hey, listen, if you got to start off an episode by James Bond, what better way to start it off? I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we're back here again with another episode of Better in the Dark. More specifically, this is our second James Bond mm-hmm. overview episode. Tom and I have embarked on an ambitious series where we're mm-hmm. going to be looking at all of the James Bond movies. And when we say all of them, we're not kidding. Next, the next episode, and I'm not looking forward to recording this we're later. We're going to be talking oh. about Casino Royale. Not the version that you're thinking of. That comes later on down the road. This is the comedy version that was made back in the mm-hmm. 60s. And we're going to be looking at Never Say Never Again. Again. This is going to be complete. And comprehensive, we hope. As always, you're going to be the final arbiter of that. Of course. I guess we can jump right on in here. Now, if you haven't listened to you might want to go back a couple of episodes to our first part where we covered the origins of the Bond series Mm -hmm. and talked about the first two films. Mm -hmm. Dr. No and From Russia With Love. That is correct. And now we get into what is the real beginning of Bond mania. Mm. These two films that we're going to talk about today, one of them lit the fuse, and the other one was the explosion. Namely, Goldfinger, mm-hmm. considered by many to be the greatest Bond movie ever made. It's also considered by many to be the definitive Bond, right. because this is the one where all of the familiar elements were really seen for the first time. Mm-hmm. The supervillain with the world-conquering plot right. is Major Henchman. Mm-hmm. The Bond girl with the sexually provocative name. Right. The gadgets. This is the one where all of the elements finally gel together in what we... Talking about the gadgets, it features, of course, the most famous Bond gadget of all time. But there's this famous, famous exchange between him and Q. Mm-hmm. It's like the first of the Q encounters. Right. Where they, he's going through the Aston Martin. When you talk about James Bond gadgets, that's the most famous one of all. Which yes. they've reintroduced into the new Bond series that they're doing with mm-hmm. Daniel Craig. This one I'm particularly keen about. You see the gear leader here? Now, if you take the top off... You'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? Because you'll release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. Ejector seat, 
a joke. I never joke about my work, 007. <laughs> that moment where Sean Connery just goes, oh, you're joking. And the look on his face, yes, look at this total like, delight that he has. <laughs> when he's, I got an injector seat. He said, you're joking. <laughs> and Q, of course, Q, nah, man, I'm not joking. I put an injector seat in there. What else did he put in there? This, I want to point this out. Uh-huh. The Aston B, almost everything on this thing was operable. It actually worked. The mm-hmm. front of it came out. The fenders had a right. hydraulic overdrive mm-hmm. that could be used as a battering ram. It had twin browning machine guns. It had a gun the, tray. The license plates that revolved. The license plates Which revolved. was added at the request of the director, mm-hmm. who got frustrated because he got an encounter with a parking cop while they were planning this film. Yeah, the plates were valid in the UK, Switzerland, and France. Mm-hmm. It had the ejection seat. It had... Uh, Bulletproof shield that came up from the back. That car was fully loaded. I think it's appeared more than any other of the Bond cars. Because it appeared in this one. It appears in Thunderball. Uh-huh. I think it shows up in one of the Brosnan films. It's the Aston Martin DB5, and it is officially known as the Bond Mobile. No bad. He's driven other ones like he drove a yeah. Lotus. The famous Underwater Lotus. Underwater Lotus, in, uh, yeah. Spider Love Me. Uh-huh. But they have reintroduced mm-hmm. this model of the Aston Martin into the Daniel Craig series, as I mentioned. And show how we got it in the first place. This film came out in 1964, the year of my birth. And oh, you were born in 64? I was born in 64, yeah. I did not know that. Came out a year after From Russia With Love. The budget went up. We're still in that era where Saltzman and Broccoli are pretty closely following the plots of the books. Yeah, because this is a very faithful adaptation of the Goldfinger novel. They even improved on the original mm-hmm. idea behind the novel. Even Ian Fleming, who was still right. alive at this time. The, this is the last this film the last, that yeah. he was alive during production. He died before release, so he never got to see it. He said himself that they did improve on the scheme because in the book, Goldfinger's scheme was to steal all the gold at Fort Knox. But in the movie, his scheme is to set off a nuclear device and just irradiate the gold so nobody else can get to it and, in essence, drive his stock, pop the right. value of his gold up. You know, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These films were successful, but they still weren't as successful as they were going to be. It was so successful that, for the first time in a long time, theaters that were showing it in New York around Times Square mm-hmm. were open 24 hours. Well, this is the movie that I really think kicked off Bond mania. There was James Bond lunchbox. Anything that they could put James Bond's name well, on. Well, I was telling you last night about the toy that I found once when I was 11, which we're going to get to when we talk about Thunderball, about how this toy company went out of business because of James Bond. Yeah. When I was 11-year-old living in Woodhaven in Queens, we just moved across the border. for the. Mm-hmm. There was this big, massive store that sold kids' furniture and bicycles and stuff. Right. And the whole left side of the store were toys, but apparently they were just like toys that were from when they were more of a toy store and they had stopped carrying them. Right. So this was stuff from like the 60s and the stuff, and they didn't realize how valuable some of this stuff was. Right. And one of the things I purchased there for something like about $2 was one of the three World of 007 set that Gilbert Toys put out way back in the 60s. And this one featured Dr. No, Odd Job, throwing his hat. Okay. And, of course, a replica of the infamous laser beam device, which, by the way, that was the first time we saw a laser in a movie. Really? No, it was obviously fact. It was considered science fiction at the time. Mm. Well, see, that was the thing about James Bond movies Mm -hmm. during the 60s, and I know it's hard for some of you younger listeners, then they were considered cutting edge. But, yeah, back then, we didn't have... I know every week now, it's a new big $100 million CGI blockbuster and everything like that. 
But back in the 60s, you didn't have that. You went to see a James Bond movie to see stuff you didn't see in any right. other movie. So, shall we talk plot? Yeah, Let's you talk want plot. to get into the plot. Okay, the plot of Goldfinger, James Bond, when we first encounter him, he's in Miami Beach mm-hmm. getting a vacation, presumably after his last assignment. Well, we saw the last assignment. It was down in Cuba, remember? Right, at the beginning. Right, right where he's the, blowing up the, the munitions plant. In the pre-credit sequence. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Goldfinger, this is the first one where we actually do see an actual pre-credit sequence. Yeah, well, no, the first one was in From Russia With Love, but it's the first time we see Bond doing something right. unrelated to it. that's what I'm thinking of. But this is the first one where we actually see Bond doing something. And by the way, this is one of these films which infamously got caught a lot of feminists up in arms. During the pre-credit sequence, he's kissing this one girl and sees the reflection of this guy about the yeah, costume. He, he, and he doesn't think twice. He just turns her around, turns around and let her get whacked. Yeah. Hey, but that's James Bond. But I remember it particularly because they got the great scene where he's in a wetsuit and after he mm-hmm. blows up the refinery, he takes off the wetsuit and yeah. he's got a tuxedo on yep. underneath. And he's got it in a special container. And the gun on his head. And in a special container, he's got the carnation. Right. And he takes it out and mm-hmm. he puts it in the belt of the hole. He's in Miami Beach. And he's met by Felix Leiter, mm-hmm. buddy from the CIA. Well, Who is not played by Jack Lord. Jack Lord apparently was unavailable at this time. The mm-hmm. actor they ended up choosing was a much older man. What's interesting is that you will see how violently different each Felix Leiter is from the next. Well, he was never played by the same guy twice until they got David Hedison. David Hedison and Jeffrey Wright as of Quantum of Solace would be right. only the second actor the to play Felix Leiter in twice. two movies. So Felix says to Bond that, well, M wants you to check out this guy who's down here, Auric Goldfinger, who's an international gold dealer. Mm-hmm who they believe is smuggling gold. And he is played by the fantastic German character actor, Gert Froge. He wasn't the first choice for this. If you have the ultimate James Bond set, Mm -hmm. there is a screen test that was done by Theodore Bickel, which is a much, much different take on the character. Mm -hmm. A lot less gaudy. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things about Gert Froge. Gert Froge revels in his lack of taste. I think it's operatic. The way that Goldfinger comes off in this film is that he's a total absolute lap, but he has money, so He's got money, so people tolerate right. his assholery. Right. <laughs> Whereas the reading that Bikel gives in the screen test gives you the hint that this it would have been a much different character, much more restrained and genteel character, more of a gentleman. Bond finds out that Goldfinger is cheating this guy at cards. Which, which leads us, of course, to Jill Masterson. Which leads to Jill Masterson, who is the Bond girl that everybody knows because she's the one that ends up covered in gold. Played by Shirley Eden. The first Bond girl in this series that actually, when I was first ex- discovering them, mm-hmm. I really had a thing for Well, everybody. Well, you know what the thing is about her is that she's got that wicked easy smile. Yeah, and you just love the I scene. mean, there's that one moment where they're in bed. He's having the talk with Felix Leiter, and she's hovering over him, comparing the way her hair looks against yeah, his. Yeah, yeah. And laugh. She makes the most of yeah. it, you know. And we should mention that her role in this movie, because the way that Goldfinger's cheating this guy is that she's in the hotel room with a pair of mm-hmm. binoculars. Goldfinger always tells the guy, I like to sit over here because I like the sun, the sun right. I, yeah, I'm working like on my... T- you and your tan, he said. But actually, it's just so that she can look at his cards through a pair of binoculars. And he's got an earpiece so that she's telling him what cards he has. This is something that we see in James Bond movies over and over again. He comes up against these rich guys who love to cheat. They've got all of this money. What do you need to cheat this guy in a couple thousands of dollars mm-hmm. for? That's petty cash, but that's Goldfinger. Right. He just likes to cheat. James Bond puts the kibosh on that plan, which ends up to... Jill Master being killed. Right. She's covered in gold paint. 
which mm-hmm. apparently suffocates you because there's a little bit at the end right. where Q M explains M that it's uh, occasionally it happens at French dancers at the cabaret right, if they, right. they forget to put a little patch around the small of their back to allow the skin to breathe. Right. Apparently, if you cover up a person completely in gold paint, they'll die. So then Bond encounters Goldfinger again when he goes to a club to play him in golf because they want to find out how Goldfinger right. is smuggling this gold, and they give Bond this gold. Ball. And he's playing golf with golfing and he drops the golf ball. <laughs> by the way, where we meet one of the more memorable characters in the series, uh-huh. the hulking Howard Cicada. Yeah, well, Aja. Uh, otherwise known as Aja. Aja. I thought you always took your hat off to a lady. And Aja is perhaps distinctive for the fact that A, he is a hulking Korean mute, and B, he has the hat. He has the steel hat. The hat with the steel brim that he right. takes off and he flings it like a frisbee mm-hmm. and he kills you with it. Yeah. When I was a kid and they were being shown on ABC all the time, that was always the shot they would show from Goldfinger when they were advertising. Goldfinger's coming up. Him sh- throwing the hat at the statue and the statue's head clunking off. And the hat clunks off. And you always see the arm move yeah. but it never break. Of course, Goldfinger is again cheating, cheating. at golf, mm-hmm. but Bond beats him by cheating better than he right. does. By this time, Goldfinger... It's like realizing, this guy's an asshole. While he's writing him out the check, he tells him flat out, he thinks this is the first time we met Mr. Bond. Make, make this your last. Make it your business that we don't meet for right. third time. <laughs> so Goldfinger's not stupid. He's catching on right. that this guy is after him. That's when Ajab right. decapitates the statue, which leads to one of the best exchanges in the movie where Bond says, oh, well, I don't think that the people in the club are going to appreciate this. Goldfinger says, well, they got nothing to say about it because I own the club. Yeah. <laughs> so then Bond is following Goldfinger. To Switzerland. To Switzerland. He follows him all the way there where he runs into Tilly Masters. Right. Who's trying to kill Goldfinger in revenge mm-hmm. for him killing uh, her sister. Her sister. This is the first of a long line of the doomed allies. They're officially known as sacrificial lambs. Okay. Because there's always one person in a Bond movie mm-hmm. that gets killed. For no good reason. <laughs> right. To <laughs> make it personal for Bond. Right. Because they got hooked up with him and they right. happen to get into a bad situation. In Bond rescuing her, that leads to them getting captured by Goldfinger. She gets killed by Oddjob. Yes. Oddjob yeah. breaks her neck with the hat. Which is very funny because in the book, that scene doesn't happen until almost the end of the book. Because mm-hmm. she actually joins Pussy Galore. Played right. by uh, Honor Blackman. Blackman. And there's a strong lesbian subtext in the mm-hmm. book between Pussy Galore and Tilly Masterson that's eliminating this movie. Eventually, the way it turns out in the movie is that Goldfinger's got this grand idea, Operation Grand Slam. Well, before that, we find out that he's been smuggling the gold out by hiding it in plates in his car. In his car, yeah. And he's in cahoots for some reason. Because he always drives these Rolls Royces, and the Rolls Royces are gold underneath all the right. paint. It's funny, because like in the, the book, he's in cahoots with the Korean government. Yeah. And he makes a big deal about the fact that Koreans make the best henchmen. Because that's where he got Ajab yeah. from. Because in the book, I believe Ajab is a Korean secret right. agent, and he's assigned as Goldfinger's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the movie, it's the Chinese government, Bert Kwok, of all people, who goes on to play Kato in the Pink Panther movies, movies, plays one of the the people, one of the representatives of the Chinese government. Because they come see Goldfinger on his horse ranch in Kentucky. In fact, most of the film, for some bizarre reason, takes place in Kentucky. Because Felix Leiter, they're supposed to be following Bond, they're supposed to be watching his back, and they're watching, oh well, he's having a good time, he's sitting there drinking, mint julep. Mm -hmm. Because every once in a while, Goldfinger takes him out and parades him around. Because he knows 
that CIA is watching. Right. Bond, you know? So there's this thing, Operation Grand Slam, you were saying. Operation Grand Slam. Well, and that's, that's the only thing that he knows for a while. When Goldberg decides that he has enough of him, but before he goes to Kentucky, if mm-hmm. you remember, this is one of the most famous scenes in the film, actually. Probably the, I would say, the most famous. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Namely, Goldfinger decides, you know what, I've had enough of you, you stupid jerk. (laughs) And ties him to what looks like a giant medical examination table. It looks like a solid gold table to me. And he's got the laser beam. And is cutting up the table. And he has this speech where he talks about how ever since he was a little kid, he's been obsessed with this thing, with this Ooh. thing called gold. This beam is used to cut gold, to cut yeah. gold or something. And it'll do just as well with flesh, Mr. Bond. Yeah, do just as well. And it's going up his leg. You know where it's going for next. Oh, yeah. You well, know he's going to be castrated. And Bond is looking down at him. So he's throwing out anything. And eventually he throws out, I know about Operation Glant Slam. Yeah, and that stops him. Well, not really, because at first the Goldfinger said, so what do I care? You yeah. Know, so you heard something. He's right. It turns out that he let him live because he doesn't know who he might have told. Goldfinger does a lot of things in this movie I don't understand. Like, he's gotten all these American gangsters right. to invest in Operation Grand Slam. They've all put in, like, a right. million dollars. He explains what it is, and the scheme is to put a nuclear device in... Fort Knox and set it off and irradiate the gold so nobody else can touch it, which of course will make the value of his smuggled gold right. go up and everybody have to come to him kissing his fuzzy behind. Right. But then, after he goes through this, explains the whole thing and he gets the money, what does he do? He seals them in and he kills them. Yeah. He has them to, what, did he just have the need to explain He's it? He's just an him? asshole. Let's be honest. Did he <laughs> more than any other Bond villain or a Goldfinger is an asshole? Did he just have the need to right. explain his plan to somebody? Yeah. I mean, he spends at least about a good 15, 20 minutes explaining the plan to them mm-hmm. and then he kills them all. Even the one guy that says, well, I don't want any part right. of this. Right. There's only one guy who survives because he shows up again in Diamonds Are Forever. Right. And again in Man with the Golden Gun. It's been confirmed. He's that's the same character right. that shows up in all of these. This plan is going to be carried out with the help of Pussy Galore. Pussy Galore, played who, by Honor Blackman. Who has a fleet of female pilots. They mm-hmm. operate by right. uh, air circuits. They're going to gas all the troops that are mm-hmm. surrounding Fort Knox. Make them unconscious. Goldfinger is going to come in with his people dis- disguised, disguised as, as army. Mm-hmm. Put the nuclear device in there. Which they do, handcuffing Bond to it. Yeah. This is the part they didn't tell Bond. Now he's locked in Fort Knox with a nuclear device that's going to go off in 10 minutes. However, early on in the movie, we saw, and this is where I guess the legend of James Bond's sexual prowess comes mm-hmm. in, because apparently, after he sleeps with Pussy Galore, it's such an earth shaking. Yeah, because Pussy Galore in the novels, as we've mentioned, is very overtly a lesbian. Yeah. There's no and two ways United about it. artists were really, really really nervous about this character. Mm. For the longest time, they tried to convince Salzman and Broccoli to change her name to Kitty Galore. The way that actually that Broccoli got around this was pretty clever mm-hmm. in that he got Honor Blackman invited to the Prince's Benefit. Oh, okay, yeah. And that, yeah. arranged for her to dance mm-hmm. with Prince Charles. Mm-hmm. Then had, you know, Honor Blackman, who's playing Pussy Galore, <laughs> Trumpeted everywhere. In the new James Bond movie. Yes, yes. Oh, right. By having her associated with the royal family made you United Artists made back it off. acceptable, yeah. But okay. they did have to back off on the lesbianism. Even yeah. though there are like these kind of weird moments where she mentions, don't waste your charm on me, Mr. Yeah, Bond. right. So this kind of hints in there. But apparently James Bond is so earth-shattering good mm-hmm. that he can make her convert. Puts in fake gas, it was mm-hmm. supposed to be the real right. gas. 
And at the crucial moment, all the army troops wake up in a big battle between their troops well, and Goldfinger. Well, this whole fingers. film is, not to put a fine point on it, there is a, a strong, strong level of misogyny throughout this film. Oh, yeah. Well. I mean, let's not, we haven't even mentioned Dink yet. That's part of the whole James mm-hmm. Bond thing. He's a misogynist. But it's obvious that the, that the producers had a good humor about it because they do a couple of things in the next film mm-hmm. to address these very same charges. Right. That's the nature of the character. You can't get around it. If you, and I know that they tried to do it with the uh, Tim- Timothy Dalton, yeah. Bond, that they tried to make him a little bit more... P- the Living Daylights, as much as we both love mm. that film, that is very much the PC Bond. Yeah, it is. When you take away everything about Bond, if you take away his drinking, if you take away his attitude toward mm-hmm. women, if, if you take away all that, you don't have James Bond anymore. Right. You've devolved the character. The U.S. Army, they, they wake up, they have a big battle with Goldfinger's people. This is where Bond has his classic battle with Oddjob. Right. In the uh, Fort Knox, which is one of the greatest sets ever built. Oh, let me tell you something about that set. They had the design by Ken Adams. Designed by Ken, Ken Adams, who is a name that we will get to again and again and again. In the James Bond series. Because they had a gentleman who would act as the liaison to the various militaries. And and would get special dispensation for the various films, but they were denied the opportunity to film in Fort Knox proper. But they did so, let Ken Adams go inside Fort Knox. Actually, no. They really? Did. I they did. I've always heard The that. inside of Fort Knox is entirely out of Ken Adams' imagination. What he did have to do was he had to take a lot of photos uh-huh. and recreate the outside oh, from scratch. Okay. Later on, he eventually did get a phone call from the general in charge of the Fort Knox Depository, congratulating him on his imagination mm-hmm. and pointing out that as wonderful as the set looked. It looked nothing like Fort Knox. I'd always heard that they let him, which is mm-hmm. something that they rarely grant right. people, that they actually let him go in there. And he said he was very disappointed. He mm-hmm. said it was so boring yeah. inside. It looked like nothing like what he thought Fort mm-hmm. Knox should look like. Right. Fort Knox that we do see in Goldfinger. That's what you think With Fort those, Knox like, Levels upon levels upon levels of, of these no- cages. With nothing but gold and, yeah. and it's all gleaming. Mm-hmm. That's what you think Fort Knox should look like. Bond has this awesome fight with Oddjob. I'm not as big a fan of Oddjob as a lot of people are. Okay. One of the things I love about the actor is those little smiles he would give when he was about ready to, to mess you up. Yeah, because there's a part that's in the fight where James Bond picks up a gold bar and smacks him with it. And it bounces off his chest. He just, like, smiles at him. Like, like he's really disdainful. Like, he's kicking Bond's ass all over the mm-hmm. place. There's no doubt about it. Until Bond gets a hold of Oddjob's hat. That's the only time yeah. we ever see Oddjob say, oh, shit. He's got that look on his face. He figures that in the hands of somebody don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. the hat is more dangerous than if he was throwing right. it. Bond throws the hat and it lodges in between the bars. When Ajab goes to retrieve it, that's when Bond pulls off his electrical cable and sticks it on the bars and electrocutes him. And Ajab goes flat down on his face. Wham! There's no padding, no mattress, or nothing. Yes. We act- and they say he did that for real. And one of the reasons why Sakata had been chosen to play Ajab is that he was a professional wrestler yeah. under the name Tosh Togo. So Sakata was trained in taking. Bumps like that mm-hmm. and not being hurt. And also in this movie, we also are introduced to another element that would become uh, James Bond staple, where either the bad guy or the henchman would come back after we think the right. movie oh, goes yeah. up and make another try and kill it. Oh, another interesting thing before we leave the Fort Knox sequence. If you remember, Bond diffuses the atomic bomb with mm-hmm. 007 seconds oh, left. Yeah, we'll see that a, again. That was actually an afterthought. Really, the original shot. If you listen to the dialogue, they never bother correcting it. The original shot had it end at 
003, but mm-hmm. when they did a premiere in London, somebody approached Bacoli and said, you know what would be really funny is if it ended in 007. Well, yeah. Which they went and they did the insert mm-hmm. shot, but they forgot to do the voice. So, because when you hear at the end of that, when he has the conversation with Lighter, he goes, three ticks more and it wouldn't have mattered. Because Bond is trying to defuse the thing. And, he, and we can see he shit. Later on, he, obviously, he learns how to defuse a Tommy Bond because I think an octopus, he, yeah. he does it. Goldfinger said, well, you know something? Yeah. Just in case this happens again, yeah. I better learn how to defuse an Tommy Bond. People talk about how much of a hard man the Sean Connery Bond is. I look at Goldfinger. Goldfinger to me is a proof of quite the contrary. Because he's sweating and he's nervous a lot, through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And particularly like during the, the laser sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. He was convinced he was going to buy it. Yeah. You asked me who the hard man of the series is. We were talking about Dalton and Craig. Oh yeah. Those absolutely. are the hard men. Yeah, those are the hard men. But the Sean Connery one, it's like when we were talking about one of the things I love about Dr. No is the scene where, going back to that folks, sorry, give me yeah. a minute here. The tarantula is put in his bed mm-hmm. and he kills the tarantula. What's the first thing? He goes to the bathroom and throws up. We're not talking about a cardboard hero here who just rushes it off and goes mm-hmm. That's business. not till later right. in the series. He was scared shitless, which he is in this movie when he's trying to figure out how to defuse his mom. And he's to the point where he just grabs a bunch of wires and he's yeah. just going to yank it because he figures, well, at this point, what I got to lose is going to go mm-hmm. off anyway. The bomb expert reaches in and he just flips one little yeah. switch, click, and Bond looks at him like, what the fuck took you so long? He's invited to talk to the president yeah. after this. He gets in the air. Gets on board and there's Goldfinger. He's in the plane. Pussy's piloting the plane, yeah. as a matter of fact. I don't know how they work that. I think there's just like some sort of weird sort of relationship between the two of them. The, the woman just betrayed you. Why would you trust her to fly the plane? This is another element we're going to see later on where either the bad guy or his chief henchman make right. another try at killing Bump after we think that the movie is over with. I mean, there is a one final fight which ends with... And the thing is, it's so funny because he's waving this gun around and Bond says straight out, you shouldn't be waving that around. You could hurt somebody. A gold-plated revolver we might yeah. add. Fires he fires it. It opens uh, explosive decompression. And he gets sucked he gets out of the plane. His fat ass. <laughs> leading to one final Bond quip. What happened? Let's go, Things go up. And we end the movie with, of course, James Bond and Pussy. Under the parachute, they've parachuted out of the plane, of course, before mm-hmm. it crashes. Their helicopter's flying around looking for that. And she's like, oh, look, we're being rescued. No, why be rescued now? He said this is no time to be rescued. Something, I mean, this one is, the misogyny is, runs throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. But this one, I mean, like I said, we, we, we made a brief reference to Dink, who shows up, who's actually the model in Maurice Binder's title sequence. Mm-hmm. It's like, going, oh, Felix, say hello to Dink. And Felix goes... Hi, it's like, Dink, say goodbye. Say goodbye to Felix. Man talk, and they, they get you that big old smack on the ass. Yeah, that's not a love tap. He really whacks. I know he left a print on the hook yeah. This film really got the dander off of a lot of feminists mm-hmm. who hated it because of this uh, misogyny. In their favor, Broccoli and Salzman decided to have a little fun with it in the next film. Goldfinger did even better than the first two films, so much so it prompted a re-release of Dr. No, and this will become a tradition throughout the 60s and 70s, of earlier films being re-released in the wake of the the new film coming out. Because a little bit of movie history here. Before we had VCRs and before we had DVRs and DVDs and Blockbuster and Netflix, 
if you wanted to see a movie again, the only way you could see it, you had to wait for them to re-release it. A lot of times when a new James Bond movie come out, you go to a movie and see double feature. Yeah, of like the a, first yeah. of these double features came out in the wake of Goldfinger, and it was a double feature of Doctor No and Russia with Love. When Thunderball came out, they did a double feature with Doctor No and Goldfinger, featuring a actor doing a really, really really bad Goldfinger impersonation in the right. advertisements going, James Bond, I'm back, and I've got Dr. No with me. <laughs> oh, about Gerb Frobe for a second, that's not his voice. No, he was dubbed in that He one. was yeah. dubbed. Michael Collins, British actor, dubbed his voice okay. in that one. Okay. But he, Michael Collins was definitely not doing the voice for this commercial. We should also mention, and I know that we... I'm going off on a tangent here, but we're known for that. You can also see Gert Frobe in a movie that a lot of people have forgotten was written by Ian Fleming. Chitty 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 Bang Bang. The reason he was thought of to play Goldfinger was that he was a mainstay in the series of Dr. Mabuse pictures that were put out in Germany around the same time. I did not know that. Dr. Mabuse was kind of like the German version of... Fu Manchu. It was like Fu Manchu, yeah. yeah. Like a psychiatrist had and hypnotizing people, having them, but he's an underworld figure. Yeah. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah, exactly. They made like a whole bunch of movies about. Yes, they did. Yeah, Doctor Mabuse. I've never seen them, but I've heard about the series. It was a pretty popular film series in Germany. But uh, this was extremely successful. This was the one that I say kicked off, and it began. Although it was still not at the heights it was until the following year, 1965, and there was a lot of pressure to get that new one out immediately. They originally approached the director of Goldfinger. Before we yeah, get sure. into there's one, one thing that we should mention that also, this was the one that started the whole trend with getting a popular artist. To oh yes, of song. course. We should. They got the tremendously talented Shirley Bassey, Shirley Bassey. to sing what it, to me is perhaps the most famous James Bond well, theme song of all, Goldfinger. Shirley Bassey's is the voice that is most associated with James Bond. She came back to do Moonraker. She did Moonraker. Yeah. And she almost did the theme song for the film we're about to discuss okay. right now. She is considered the definitive voice of that classic era of the Bond film. They talk about getting Amy Winehouse of all people for... Well, you see, another thing is, if Amy you know, Winehouse the, was sober, I think she's got a similar quality to her voice yeah, that exactly. she would have done and a good know, job. It's such a shame, but they said that the music producer... Well, you know the, the whole story. I think I told you about this, that they wanted Winehouse for a long time. Right. Do the theme song for Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. but they were worried about her frequent problems with <laughs> drug addiction <laughs> and beating people up <laughs> and abusing her husband and just being a, a true terror of the road. So they made her sign a contract mm-hmm. that said that she would get the job to sing the theme song, mm-hmm. but only if she could prove she had been sober for five months. The music producer for Quantum Solace, mm-hmm. I read online, he said he had a meeting with Amy Winehouse. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. It was obvious to him. She couldn't sing anything. Yeah. Period. Let alone the theme song for James Bond. And he said right there, you're not getting the job. You're not doing it. See, now I think... Go back and get Shirley Bassey. No, no, see, now <laughs> I think that they're in the right in, in using a very unconventional artist for the last one. Chris Cornell. Yeah. Well, I, I think that song is wonderful, You Know My Name. You know which is, is unique in that it's the only Bond theme song done from the point of view of Bond. The first time I heard it, I didn't like it, but it grew on me. And somebody else pointed out to me, look at it from, this is James Bond. And once I listened to it with that type of mindset, I said, okay, now I get it. So now I like right. the song. And I if like I die, it. someone will replace me. Although, if they're going for a female voice, I can't think of a legitimate, as much as I love Lily Allen, for mm-hmm. example, to choose another person from that same sort of school as Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. 
She's just too cutesy to yeah. do a Bond film. Yeah, but this was the movie that started the trend of yeah. getting a popular artist to sing the theme song, which is usually big and glorious and operatic. Mm-hmm. Until the Brosnan era, you cannot mistake a Bond theme song for any other type of pop No, music absolutely not. Yeah. Because there is a certain loud operatic brassiness. Mm-hmm. To it. It's not till we get to stuff like Tomorrow Never Dies, which is pretty dreadful. Or even the one that I know that you can't stand, Die Another Day, which is the, oh, the, the techno beats. Oh, God. That we get away from that. That is so lazy of Madonna. It sounds like she wrote that on the way to the limo to the recording studio. And we want to mention, people, that Derek and I, when we're uh, just hanging out together, do have discussions. Like, for example, which Bond henchman would win in a fight? I want to point out that Odd Job was, I think, in the top three of people who would survive. He was definitely in. The he was top definitely in the final four. I know that. It was him, Red Grant, and Necros. Necros and Zenia on the top. Zenia on the top. Yeah, Odd Job is in the top three. Odd Job's got the range. He's kicking he hit you from a distance. Yeah, it, it, that's why I give him an edge because he doesn't necessarily have to get up there. See, Necros has to get up yeah. on you. Right. To kill you. Xena on the top. She definitely <laughs> has to get I'm all for she, that. She definitely has to get up on you. Our job can stand from a distance. Let's but go. but see Red Grant, I think Red Grant is sneaky enough to get on right. top. He can't I think he's got a sneakiest that Xena on the top. Okay, our job doesn't seem like a sexual guy to me. So yes. she's getting she's, whacked. Yeah. Necros, maybe. Because Necros is the type of guy that would sneak up on he doesn't got no compunctions about killing you from the yeah. back. But Red Grant, I think, is sneaky enough that they go face-to-face, and he find a way to get to Yeah, them. this is what we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we talk about, people, when we're on the phone, believe it or not. But, uh, so so yes. what's the final verdict on Goldfinger? Goldfinger? I don't know if I would put it in such re- uh, revered status as most people do. Like me. I think that most people reach for Goldfinger because it's a lazy choice. If you ask most people whether the best Bond movies, they'll automatically go for the Sean Connery ones. Right. Because it's a lazy choice. Uh-huh. I, I mean, don't think it's the best Bond Movie, yeah, but I do think it's the one. Like yeah, I said before, it is definitely this the is the one where all of the elements. And it's it's, it's come the together. bridge between the earlier films, which are more straight spy movies, right, and what is considered a James Bond movie, exactly. Starting with, of course, our next our film, next one, which is 1965. There was a lot of pressure because most of the Bond films there are two years difference. Yeah. Between them. Not this one. They put a lot of pressure to get this out right away and to get it out in time for Christmas. A year of pre-production right. and a year for filming. What the schedule yeah. was. Not for this one. No, they wanted a new James Bond uh, They out. approached Guy Hamilton who directed Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Guy Hamilton was so exhausted he declined, although he will come back later into the yeah, series. Okay. So they went back to Terrence Young who directed the first two. Terrence Young tells the story about how when he was first approached uh, to film the first James Bond, he said... Only if you do one of these three books, <laughs> Dr. No from Russia with Love and Thunderball. And he said, well, I ended up directing all three of them. <laughs> so I didn't see any reason to continue with the series after that. Thunderball, which has a very bizarre story leading up to it, to say the least. And well, I wish... Is Kevin McClory yes. uh, story you're going to tell? That? I yeah, because wish. It's impossible, folks. To tell the story of Thunderball without Kevin McClory because and Kevin McClory he was a guy that would haunt the Bond series right, yes. for the next thirty years. Kevin McClory years. will be the redheaded stepchild of the Bond film oh, for the next fifteen God. years. Oh, but he, he wrote the plot. He wrote the plot. Ian Fleming yeah. had an idea to make a spy TV show 
And he collaborated with this guy, Kevin McClory. The character was named Solo, wasn't it? Solo, yeah. This is what would eventually metamorphose into the the man from Marvel. And the pilot was with the basic plot for Thunderbolt. So all this stuff that becomes iconographic in the early Bond films, Spectre, all this stuff, is because of this collaboration with Kevin McClory. Who always maintained that Spectre was his creation. The problem was they couldn't get people interested in this TV show. So Fleming decided to write it as a novel. To get the rights to write it as a novel, he signed away the media rights right, to yep. Kevin McClory, which means that Thunderball is unique. It is the only official canon Bond film that is not produced by Broccoli and Salzman. Or Eon Productions after both of them mm. have died. Mm. It is the only one that has Kevin McClory's sole production credit. It becomes the big thorn in the Eon <laughs> Productions side for years to come. For because years. every time Bond stands by a body of water, Kevin McClory comes out of the woodwork wanting money. The guys at the Hollywood Saloon had actually had like a little like alarm sound. Like a, yeah, like, yeah, Kevin McClory wanted Ooga! Yes. HollywoodSaloon.com, folks, check them out. So, 65, they rushed this thing out. Mm-hmm. They used the, the story pretty much as it was the original script. Yeah. Which is one of the major reasons why I think this is one of the weakest of the Bond films. Bond doesn't behave like Bond mm-hmm. throughout most of it. If Goldfinger was the lighting of the fuse, this was the explosion. This just opened the floodgates. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted a piece of James Bond. Oh, yeah. Strange enough, I've seen Thunderball. I like Thunderball. I don't love Thunderball. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, there are actually times now when I'll pull out Thunderball and I'll watch it. And there are parts I get up and I walk away and I go do something, which I don't usually do in any other James Bond movie. Well, the whole first act is useless. There's such long stretches. The whole stretch with with him in the convalescent home is just useless. As a matter of fact, it's done much better in Never Say Never Again, which is a remake of Thunderball. But it's necessary for the plot, which I guess we should get into. We're back again with our old friend Spectre. They had a little vacation in they, Goldfinger. They had, yeah, they had a little break while James Bond was kicking Goldfinger's ass, but now they're back. We see Blofeld for the second time. At with least, the cat. With his kitty. We see they continue the tradition where we saw it first in From Russia With Love, where Blofeld gets all of his people in the room and he's going to discipline somebody. He makes one guy think that yeah. he's the one going to get whacked, but instead he whacks mm-hmm, the guy next right. to him. So Blofeld does that and he says, How Blofeld's an asshole. Yeah, he is. He pretty much is. <laughs> So he's got his number two, Emilio Largo, who... Oh, God, one of the dullest villains which ever. Which is, a, yeah, a very boring villain. They try to dress him up with an eye Played by a, a famed Italian character actor, uh, Adolfo Celli. Well, who, once again, in the long tradition of James Bond, although he did speak very extensive English, but his accent was so thick, they had his voice dubbed. Yeah. I think this holds a record for most people having their voice dubbed in a movie. Yeah. Because there was a largely Italian cast in this mm-hmm. movie. Also, both of the female leads were dubbed. But both of, I think, the main henchmen. The main henchmen, what you want yeah. to call them. Who didn't last too long, who wasn't much of a henchman. The guy gets nailed to yeah. the street. He got the point. He got the point. You know. So, Spectre is back. This guy, Largo, he outlines his scheme. They've already hooked this United States Air Force captain. He's a Frenchman. He's a Frenchman. In, in, in the remake, yeah, 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 he's American. Up, never say never again. Yeah. They've got him hooked on women and heroin and stuff like that. And a particular woman. One Fiona Volpe. Fiona Volpe. Played by the rather amazing red-headed Italian actress, uh, Luciana Paluzzi. Right. Who's originally meant to be a Irish woman in the script because they were so impressed with Miss Paluzzi's audition, mm-hmm. they changed the character 
to reflect your nationality. In a convoluted bit of business, why would they hook the guy on these women if they plan on killing him anyway yeah. and substituting him with a double? The guy, he gets in a plane and during an exercise, apparently the French Air Force, no, these exercises, NATO, NATO yeah. yes. they do these exercises with live nuclear bombs right. and the guy crashes it deliberately into the ocean where Largo is waiting with his Disco uh, Volante. Disco Volante. His yacht. Spectre takes the two nuclear bombs off of the plane, of course, killing the double also. Right. They got no problem killing all these people. The scheme is just simply to hold the world in ransom. Unless they're paid $100 million, they're going to set off the nuclear bomb in a major U.S. city and a city in England. They, I think they ended up choosing Miami and London. This is how James Bond gets into the plot. For some reason... That escapes me. He says, I'm going to Jamaica. I just think about yeah. it. Jamaica. Maybe because he just likes mm-hmm. it. Right. And he goes down to Jamaica. And, Lucky uh, for him that that's where uh, Largo has his that, hideout. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it just so happens that Largo is over in the NASA. But he finds out that Largo's mistress, Domino, is the you know, brother of... This is one of my major problems with the film. There is no real indication as to what the hell Domino's doing there. She's just there. She's I can't. And she just, and she just I mean, she's played by this absolutely gorgeous French actress, right? Christina Auger. They had considered Julie Christie, mm. Raquel Welch, and Faye Dunaway. That would have been interesting before settling on uh, sorry Claudine Auger mm-hmm. to play this character. Okay, and she's absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that sequence she and Bond are doing the scuba diving, and mm-hmm. if you like scuba diving, this is the oh, movie for you, is, folks! This is the movie for you, because I think about half the movie is taken up yeah. with scuba diving. They're, they're scuba diving together, and it ends with them in the kiss, and she's wearing that the, the yeah, that's made out of the yeah, alternating yeah. strips of black and white fabric. Yeah. And she is absolutely breathtaking. She's but hot, yeah. She is as charismatic as a plank of wood. And she just happens to be the sister yeah. of the guy that they killed to put mm-hmm. a duplicate in his place. Yeah. <laughs> so he arrives in the Bahamas. He arrives in the Bahamas, in the Bahamas just in time for Junk Canoe, which is the base of the Mardi Gras Festival. Right. And actually, his assistant in this one, she's probably the hottest woman in the movie. Martine Bestwick. Martine Bestwick, who plays Paula. Yes. This was an interesting little thing, a Martine Bestwick audition for the first Bond, because she was Miss Jamaica. Right, I remember you were telling me. Yeah. And she had auditioned for the first Bond film, Dr. No. Taryn Chung saw something in her, but didn't think she had the chops yet. And he said, you're not ready yet, but I promise you this. If you go and you study acting, and you come back and you audition for me again, I'll put you in, the, in a film. Mm-hmm. And he was as good as his word. She, she went off to London, studied in the Royal Academy for the Dramatic Arts, came back, auditioned again, played a small part in From Russia With Love as one of the two gypsy women. Right, yeah, who had to fight. And Young was so impressed with her that when he came back to do Thunderball, Roccoli and uh, Salzman were resistant to this because they felt that once you died in a Bond film, you were dead. Yeah, you couldn't come you back. You couldn't come back. Young persuaded that she could carry this role, and mm-hmm. she did. And she's yeah, wonderful. She, yeah, she's very and good. she goes on to become something of a minor B movie queen mm-hmm. through camera films, and is perhaps most famous for a film called Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I think maybe, she, doesn't she make one more appearance in the Bond series? I somewhere? think she's an extra in, I think, one of the more films. She's a yeah. I, I, Much like Lord Adams shows up in, I think it's. She was in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, she's in The Man with the Golden Gun. She's in and Octopussy. She's in, she started she, she, Oh, she's an extra in Review to a Kill. Luciana Paluzzi shows up as one of the card players in Casino Royale. In Casino Royale, right. This is maybe the first example of the Broccoli Salzman loyalty mm-hmm. to certain actors and certain people who prove themselves worthy. Bond infiltrates Largo's 
organization. And this bizarro house with the linked swimming pools with the sharks. What's that all about? Okay, to me, that would be a big honking sign you don't want to get involved with this Yeah, stuff. yeah, I mean, who keeps sharks in a pool? It, Two swimming pools, one with sharks, one with and, without sh- and a passageway for one to get to the other. Because at one point, Bond is thrown in. Yeah. And he presses the button, and it's like a steel shutter comes yeah. across, and he says, open up yes. the thing and let that. This is nothing like a Dr. No. Remember when Bob was laying on the bed with the tarantula? It was pretty yeah. apparent there was a piece of glass mm-hmm. between. You can actually see Sean Connery's hands up mm-hmm. against the glass as the sharks are swimming by. Didn't whoever was underwater would tell, put your hands down, put your hands down. Because you can see his hands It's also features, by the way, this one little gadget, this like oxygen rebreather about the size of a pen. Interesting little story about Which that. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. After the film was released in December of 1965, Ken Adams got a phone call mm-hmm. from the British military. Wanting to know about this wonderful gadget he came up with. How long uh, can you breathe? Stay underwater. And he says, as long as you can hold your breath. Because <laughs> it was totally non-functioning. It was a prop. They had divers yeah. over there with oxygen mm-hmm. tanks in case Sean Connery ran out of air. And meanwhile, yeah. you've got Fiona, who was responsible for killing Domino's brother is now stalking James Bond. Which leads to one of the worst scenes in any James Bond movie that I can mm-hmm. name, and we talked about this, where apparently we see that James Bond, like Superman, is faster than a speed yes. bullet. He's on well, the that's bef- Yeah, before that happened, an uh, interesting scene where Fiona captures him okay. in his hotel room, and she starts on this tirade after they've made love. And he's somewhat surprised that she's so loyal to Spectre, and she starts this tirade about, oh yes, the, the great James Bond, every time he sleeps with a woman, the angel acquires his mother. Yeah. <laughs> that is an actual quote from a review of Goldfinger. It's a great scene because she's nailed it right. She said, oh, just because I sleep with you, what, I'm supposed to turn over her to the I'm supposed to be a good guy now? What? Her comments <laughs> in that scene are lifted directly from reviews of Goldfinger and are meant to be kind of like an in-joke. But it's a great in-joke, and it's mm-hmm. right. And he said, oh, you didn't really think I enjoyed it, now, did you? Yeah. <laughs> So what I did, I did for Queen Clearly of the Country. country. Which, to me, actually looks like the way Sean Connery plays it. Bond is, like, kind of pissed off. His yeah. ego has been... He said, yeah, well, I'm James Well, Bond. fuck you too, bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he could have said it back then, that's what he would have said. <laughs> well, it does lead to one... Uh, it's probably... I mean, and I, this is not my favorite film by a long shot. No, it's not, it's not mine. But my favorite sequence in this film comes up right after that, which is, of course, the chase through the Junkanoo, yeah. which was done... Which was with, actually filmed yes. during Junkanoo. During yeah. the actual uh, festival, was done with handheld cameras, and looks really kind of paranoid and claustrophobic. Bond isn't sure who's after yeah. him, because there's so many people, and he's not sure where mm-hmm. he's going, and he's bumping into people, he's turning around, and he's looking at another scene where Sean Connery showed Bond's vulnerability. Right. He's not this invincible guy. We think he is. Sometimes he does get scared. Genuinely scared. He gets scared. Yeah, because he doesn't know where the bullet is going to come from. And that's when Fiona all of a sudden says, yes. Oh, well, come with me. And she pulls him And she, she pulls him into the Kiss Kiss Club, which leads us to a little, another little bit of trivia, which is another in joke that was intended was one of the other reviews for Goldfinger from an Italian newspaper, which dubbed James Bond Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Bang. They had originally, because they hated the title Thunderball. Salzman Broccoli thought that using the name Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as the theme song, mm-hmm. and they actually commissioned a song that was done by Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey. Ultimately, United Artists decided, no, we want to have the theme song with the actual title in it. Mm-hmm. They had Shirley Bassey record another uh, song called Thunderball, mm-hmm. but they ended up at the last minute going with Tom Jones. Which is the first time 
Yeah, we have a man singing. The, the original uh, name of this yeah. club was the Jump Jump Club. Right. But okay. because they were going to use this theme song, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm-hmm. they changed it to the Kiss Kiss Club. Okay. And so, that leads to the scene you were talking about. He's on the dance floor with Fiona. She's got her henchmen with her, yeah. of course. And one of them is taking a beat at James Bond from the sidelines. He whirls her around, amazingly enough. Like, he hears the gunshot, mm-hmm. and then he whirls her around in enough time that you can... My friend sits this one out. She's just dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She catches the bullet in her back, and he covers up the hole with it. Yes. He sits her down and says, okay, my friend's sitting here. She's just dead. Fiona is gone, so we lose a valuable member of the cast, who was one of the few that livened up the proceedings, because now we're stuck with Largo. Largo is the dullest villain. Largo, who's about as exciting as a bar of soap. (laughs) Largo, considering his screen time, he gets a lot of screen time. Oh, yeah. Is easily the dullest Bond villain ever. Until we meet the wonderful Hugo Drax in Moonraker. Largo in this movie, I couldn't believe this guy could pull off boosting a pack of cigarettes yeah. from the 7-Eleven, much less pull <laughs> off this heist with the, the atomic bombs. Bond finds eventually that they're not where they're supposed to be. They're actually on the Disco Volante. Yeah. Which we learn is this wicked hydrofoil thing. Yeah! There's a scene where, because by now Bond has got a hold of Felix Leiter, and they have this big underwater battle right. between Largo's men and the CIA, and mm-hmm. they come, and they've got... Like, and the, something about the, the underwater sequences were directed by Rico Browning. Does that mm-hmm. name sound familiar? Yes, it does. It was the man who was the, the Gill Man in the first yeah. the Black Lagoon. And they have this huge battle. They've got spear guns, and mm-hmm. they're shooting. And, of course, it's very easy to tell the good guys from the bad guys because Largo's men are all in black yeah. <laughs> suits, and the good guys are in white with Yeah. <laughs> So they know who to shoot. And Bond, he comes in because he's got like this backpack with right. a rocket propelled and he's got missiles on the yeah. side. Oh, he's tripped out in all kinds of shit. Gets on the Disco Volante. It's very cool because Largo leaves half his men behind yes. to fight the battle. And the front half is a wicked cool hydrofoil. Yeah. Him and Bond is fighting. The wheel is turning. The, the boat is swerving back and forth and they're beating each other. And Largo finally caps him a good one. Bam! And he knocks him down. James Bond's lying there. And he picks up a gun and he says, yeah, well, it's your ass now. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a and it's Domino who earlier yeah. has been tortured by Largo we see with Ice Cube and yeah. Cigarette. God knows what that guy was into. Right. And even before that Bond tells her and, and I love this particular sequence when Bond tells her that her brother is dead because it's like they're trying so hard to get actual sexual acts on screen without actually remember uh, she, she falls on the C-spine Yeah. and he's sucking it out and they cut to the shot of Claudine Auger and she gives us it's an orgasm. Yeah. It's an orgasm. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe some people get off from it. She's not the world's best actress. No, so she doesn't sell the scene at all. But she rescues Bond because she shoots Largo mm-hmm. in the back. Fear gun. And she says, oh, I'm glad that pig is dead. Bond said, you're glad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm the one he was right. having a gun at, sister. And they jump off the boat just before it blows up. Mm-hmm. Once again, James Bond has saved the Western world. Yes. Isn't this the one where they're on the, the dinghy and the submarine comes up underneath them? That oh, that's, was, that's the next one, right? That's, that's the, the next one. The only twice. In this one, usually he has time, like in Goldfinger. Right. He told Pussy Galore there's no time to be rescued. You know, He gets the final quickie. Right. And in Dr. No, he got the final quickie that was in the yeah. boat. In this one, he hooks himself up to a harness and the plane comes See, back was given to and that. snatches them the out sky of the book. Yeah, the sky. And so he doesn't even have time for a quickie mm-hmm. at the end of this one. That's Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt, you know, like it's I said. It's not a good, I mean, I think part yeah. of the reason is because it was so rushed. It was made in only a year and it was so forced. There was a great deal of pressure to get the, the soundtrack out before the movie came out in time for 
Christmas. They hadn't done the score for the second half of the film. Mm. So for the longest time, if you wanted a copy of the Thunderbolt soundtrack, it only contained music from the first hour and 15 minutes of the movie. And of course, there was all this other stuff that got rushed out as well, including, of course, this is the story you want me to tell about. Mm-hmm. The James Bond Le Mans racing set they had put together has a tie-in for Thunderbolt with the Gilbert Company. At the time, the oldest toy company in the country, they had the James Bond's license. They rushed out this racing set, kind of like a slot car racer, called the James Bond Le Mans Thunderbolt race set. They were in financial trouble to begin with, but they sent a massive, massive contract with Sears to exclusively provide this race set to Sears for its Christmas 1965 catalog. They made the cut. Unfortunately, they didn't test the toys very well. Something upwards of about 60 to 70% of the toys failed and malfunctioned. Sears got massive returns. Sears would not pay for the units that were returned. And the Gilbert Toy Company went out of business because of James Bond. Wow. Isn't that something? I don't know about y'all folks out there, but I that, find that very... If I was Mr. Gilbert, I'd be going out. I would, I would yeah, 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 yeah. If I was Mr. Gilbert, I'd be pissed. Thunderball, like I said, I have all the James Bond movies. I like Thunderball, but first of all, it's got too many underwater scenes. Yeah. There's too many scenes that just go on and on and on for far too well, long. Well, it's got a lackluster villain. The final battle at the end is supposed to be so thrilling. It really is. It's got an interesting henchman who is written out... Halfway through the film. Right. It's got a absolutely gorgeous female lead who is deadly dull to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's a film where, quite frankly, as we've said before, Bond is not behaving like Bond. Right. This is a movie that I'd rather watch the remake, Never Say Never Again. Yeah. I'd rather watch that than watch this. Because the guy in that movie, Klaus Maria Brandauer, he plays Largo the way we expect a James right. Bond villain to act in an operatic way. And this guy, Largo, he's like an accountant. Adelfo Celli was not done with the Bond franchise mm-hmm. in, in a weird sort of way. Really? Yes. How so? Because he became the villain in the infamous Operation Kid Brother. Starring Sean Connery's Kid Brother. Brother. Yeah, Operation Kid Brother starring Neil Connery, mm-hmm. the Italian James Bond ripoff that they managed somehow to con as many Bond people as they could to be in. Mm-hmm. Adelfo Celli played the main villain in that film. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, he's done with me. Oh, yeah. Thunderball. It's it's okay. It's a James Bond movie, but. And this one, savor this while you can, because this one is the last straight adaptation of a Bond book we see on. Well, we see one more on Your Majesty's. It's pretty much a straightforward adaptation. Yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is. The one that's almost exactly... If you've seen the movie, right. you read the book, you, which I have, and which and I suspect you, most people have. Yeah, it's exactly like the book. But yeah. after that, that's it until Casino Royale in 2000. Dude. Thunderball, not a fan. Not a fan. Nah, I'm not a fan of that one. Let me put it this way. If I wanted to turn somebody onto Sean Connery, James yeah. Bond, I would not advise mm-hmm. them to see Thunderball. Right. I'd advise them to watch a couple of the early ones first, like Dr. Mm-hmm. No from Russia with Love. Right. And then... Watch this one if right. you want it, but I wouldn't advise anybody to see the not to start off with Thunderball. To review, yes to Goldfinger, no to Thunderball. Uh, enthusiastic up to Goldfinger, Thunderball, Thunderball only after you've seen some of the other Connery. And when you watch it, don't feel embarrassed about taking a break in the slow parts because there are slow parts. Which to me, a James Bond movie should never have a slow part. There should no. never be a part when you say. One well, other thing that's interesting about Thunderball, I want to mention, is it's perhaps one of the most messed with of the Bond franchise. There are many different versions of, of Thunderball floating around. Really? There was a television print which had no musical track on the climactic 
fight scene. There are other television that has scenes that don't show up in the theatrical version. And I know a lot of you younger viewers won't remember this because you were too young to, yeah. but a lot of times when ABC showed these movies, they showed them in two nights and they had yeah. scenes that weren't in the theatrical version. Because I do remember that it was one showing the Thunderball that was on Sunday and Monday night. Yeah, yeah no. it's not the most bizarre alternate version. That one goes to the infamous narrated on Majesty's Secret Service that, that we'll get, get now to that, two episodes right. hence. Now that was a really bizarre version yes. of a James Bond movie. Much like Goldfinger, Thunderball had theaters open 24 hours. Yep. Bond showed up on Life, Time, Playboy. Yeah, everywhere. Uh, scuba magazines, because there's so many... Yeah, scuba, scuba diving sequences, yeah. It paved the way for the next film in the series, which we will not get to this time. For yeah, it. for us it's going to be a few Although I'm not looking years. forward to it, because in addition to dealing with You Only Live Twice, <laughs> we have to deal with... The original oh. Casino Royale. Oh, man. James Bond in the Casino Royale. Oh, my God. I don't want to think about this film. I'll help you through it, bro. Don't worry about okay. it. Okay. So let's do the wrap-up. Let's do the indicia. If you want to write us and say, I don't know, I didn't think Lydia R.J. was that bad an actress. I think Margot was the greatest bad guy in the history of Bond's. Cinema. <laughs> what were you on then, people? <laughs> if you want to, like, say how much you love us, you hate us, you're indifferent to us, you can email us at betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. If you want to leave a message on our Potomatic page, you can at betterinthedark.potomatic.com. Or if you're really brave and you'd like to talk about movies with like-minded movie fanatics, you can join our Yahoo group at yahoo.movies.com backslash group backslash better in the dark we'll be back with part three of this it's going to be t- 12 parts i think when we're all done right yeah more or less what we said was going to end up there so yeah we'll be back with part three where we're oh, going to do god you only live twice and casino royale be a man look it suck it up that's an order all mister. Right. <laughs> that's Derek ferguson and that's thomas dj And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter which martini you drink, whether you prefer it steaken and not stirred, go Go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Take care. God bless. That gun looks more fitting for a woman. You know much about guns, Mr. Bond? No. I know a little about women. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Desmond Reddick of Dread Media, the Geek Savants, David Lifton of Wings for Wheels, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark doesn't want you to die, but wouldn't be adverse to a little discomfort on both our parts. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, it's probably a good idea to not work for anyone who's too fond of their long-haired version. Fargo's behind you. Really? He must have followed us. Where did he go to point?